Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Well, good morning, Milestone. You look kind of shocked to see a big old Mexican just right up on you this early in the morning. Uh, y'all, y'all don't know this, but again, um, from behalf of, of my wife and I, we are so grateful and we are so proud of you and what God has done. Y'all have an amazing pastor, Pastor Jeff and Brandy Little. We've walked with them for over 20 years, and I think the greatest money our Savior's church may have ever invested in the kingdom of God, it was in them as they began here. And so it's a joy to be here. Now, let me just share with y'all that Pastor Jeff calls me Paul Paul. Now, if he really was true to his Mexican roots, it would be Huelito. But, 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 he, but he calls me Paul Paul. In other, I mean, I'm sure you could see the resemblance. I mean, if, if he had the hair and he looked like the Latino side of the family, this, this is what it, it, would, it, would, it would be like. But we are, we're just, it's a joy to be here, and on behalf of, of our wife and all of our campuses and all those things, we are just so thrilled in this amazing place. And I'm going to tell you this, the worship was off the chain. It, it, it really was. Or L chain or La chain or chain, 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 just <laughs> well, whatever, whatever you choose to call it. You know, um, I, I've, I've been married uh, 39 years in about 126 days. And um, I, I count that because I'm the first person in five generations of my family to not get divorced and be faithfully married to one woman. So that, that means something. And, and when we got married, I mean, I, I was, I was, it was a lot of love, but not much money. I was, a, I was a youth pastor, and so I, I took all the money I had and gave it to a jeweler in our church. It was $700, and I, I bought a quarter-carat diamond ring. Okay, ladies, I said there was a lot of love and a little money. Okay? And so uh, I, uh, I actually, when my wife flew in from Louisiana, and, and she's Cajun, and I'm Mexican, so... Uh, we've created a new race of people in Louisiana called the Mexicoons. <laughs> and and I, 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 I actually, she flew into Dallas-Fort Worth Airport at that time. I was working at a church in Waco. And so she landed and she got in the car and, and I proposed to her and I, I showed her that, that ring. And thank God that, that she was in love with me because in spite of the ring, she married me. And, and I remember probably a year or two into being married, she said, baby, she said, this ring is so small. I mean, it doesn't even look like I'm married. So that was a problem. So um, I, I went and, and we bought a cubic zirconian. Don't hate on me. Okay. I was just claiming her. All right. So she wore this cubic for over 20 years. And on our 25th anniversary, we went out to dinner and I surprised her with dessert, came out on the plate, a two-carat diamond solitaire. Come on, ladies, clap. That might be your future. 
Oh, and man, I know with some of your wives are going, honey, that doesn't mean anything. I don't. It's not jewelry. She's lying. <laughs> Straight up. And so she calls that her 25-year service award when, when, <laughs> when, when people ask her about that. But, but I just wanted to make sure that they knew that she was married. Because you know how when you get in a church like this and there's a lot of good-looking people around and now some of you are here and you're single and you're searching and you, you're kind of mad that the good-looking girl down the corner from you didn't raise her hand in worship because you could see whether she was married or not. <laughs> and so all I have to say is if that ring shows my level of love for her, then God must really, really, really love you to give you Pastor Jeff and Brandy Little as pastors because that shows he really loves you. Yeah, you can go ahead. You can clap now. I'm going to give you permission to clap. Someone said that gratitude that's unspoken is ingratitude. And when God gives you a pastor after his own heart, that is a gift from heaven. That isn't your genius that happened to hit it just right. Papa just wanted to tell you about a grandson. <laughs> well, I believe that today I can tell you what the greatest dream is of every person seated here. As a matter of fact, for 25 years, I did school assemblies and spoke to almost 2 million students all across America, from the inner cities of L.A. to New Orleans to, to uh, Carroll to Carroll Tun to, uh, uh, you know, Tyler, all, all across the country. And I would begin each school assembly by saying, regardless of whether it was the inner city or whether it was in a fluent white school or in, in, in the barrio, I would begin by saying, I want to tell you what the single greatest dream is of every person seated here in this room. And whenever you say that, you know, people look like, like you don't know me. You know, my little friend's like, really? Like, you think you know? <laughs> and, and so I want to tell you, I know what the single greatest dream and desire is of every person seated in this room right now. Can I tell you what it is? It's either to come from a happy home, to have a happy home, or to one day give your children a happy home. Clap if that's true. You see, family is God's idea. He began it in the garden. Church at its worst is an organization or a business. At its best, it's a spiritual family. And in the brokenness of the world that we live in, where 50% of us have come through a family that were divorced or we've been divorced, and, and, and the, the rates continue to escalate. If it's a second marriage, it's, you know, 60% more likely to get divorced than the third, 70%, and, and, and it escalates. So the story that I want to share with you today comes from one that was uncommon at one time, but tragically is very, very common today. I was raised in the black ghetto of Houston until I was nine years old, Fifth Ward. When I found out I wasn't black, I moved from the black ghetto to the Mexican ghetto. No, that's true. In an area called Little Mexico, Harrisburg, navigation by the ship channel in Houston. It was, as I grew up, my family was just, it, it, was, it was a mess. 
I can remember being nine years old sitting on the front steps of my house in the body of Houston and the police came again that day to stop my mom and dad from fighting. And, and I remember the next, the, the next morning just sitting on that step, nine years old, going, I don't know how, but one day my children are going to go through this hell. I don't know how. My life was a mess. My father was on his way to being married five times. The woman he married after my mother had been married three times. The woman after her had been married two times. The woman after her had been married three times. I mean, I have more relatives than Alex Haley's and Roots. I don't have a family tree. I got a family bush. I mean, I am related to everybody. And don't laugh. Most of those women were white. I might be related to you. Hi, I'm from the dark side of the family. But it gave me a yearning. It gave me a yearning to have a family. It gave me a yearning to have some place that one day I could bring my children to that was safe and secure and stable. By the time I got in the middle of my eighth grade year, they had just begun integration. How many of you remember integration? Integration was going to take kids from the low-class black schools and bring them to the high-class white schools to get an equal education, but there was just one problem. Mexicans were not considered to be Mexicans. They were considered to be white because at that time, the Supreme Court said whoever wasn't black was white. That's true. My birth certificate says I'm white. Later on, I found out I was a Mexican-American. Then not long after that, I found out I was a Latino. And then not long after that, I found out I was a Chicano. And then not long after that, I found out I was a Hispanic. So pray for me while I find myself. <laughs> and so what they ended up doing was busing kids from the black ghetto to the Mexican ghetto. And my junior high school, Jackson Junior High, in the inner city body of Houston became 60% Mexican, 39% black, and 1% white. And everybody wanted power. The Mexicans were saying, we want Chicano power. <laughs> The African-Americans going, we want black power. And the whites were saying, we want out. Where is the door? <laughs> it was a mess, very much like the racial tensions you see today. My life was a mess. I have four sisters that got pregnant, 13, 14, and 15. My older brother was my hero. He was a drug dealer. And I was just a mess. And nine years old, right after my parents got divorced, my dad came in and he woke me up and he said, come on, boy, we're going to go and find your mother. I was the only one that stayed with my dad. And about 1.30 in the morning, we drove around and we stopped in the body of Houston and, and in front of a bar and we waited. And about 30 minutes later, my mom came walking out with another man. Nine years old, my dad woke me up and he drug me across the way and he shoved me into my mother's face and he said, look at your mother. She's a prostitute. She's a whore. She's cheap and she used and she's no good. And then he pulled out a knife and he stabbed both the back tires of the station wagon and my mom and this man jumped in and they began to drive down the road and we began to drive behind them and ram them down the road. And I, I, I made a decision that day. I didn't know it at the moment, but I can tell you very cleanly looking back on it, I made a decision. Some of you made that decision at a point in time in your life. And you know what it was? I'm never going to love somebody enough to let them ever hurt me this much again. I won't ever trust anybody this much again. I won't let anybody do this to me this much again. And what was an exception 40 years ago has now become the norm, and people aren't demon-possessed. They're broken and they're hurt. 
And it comes out at road rage, and it comes out at a shooting, and it comes out in some horrible way. But it's brokenness, and it's hurt. And my heart began to be dark, filled with anger and bitterness. And look right here, because I don't ever want you to forget this. Whenever your heart becomes bitter and angry, it's an engraved invitation to the enemy into your life. And the worst thing is you become the very thing you hate. I'm going to write a book one day and it's going to be called Forgive It or Relive It because you become just like the person you won't forgive. So my life began to spiral out of control with drugs and immorality and gangs. I was a mess. Just a mess. Sometimes in moments like that, when you see people in circumstances like that, of which we can see them all across our nation today, you wonder, God, where are you? The, the, the God of this book supposedly cares and has a plan and a purpose, and he does. Where is he? Well, a miracle was about to happen in my life. I, I didn't know it. It was the middle of my eighth grade year, and there was a white pastor, like your pastor, Pastor Jeff, who was bold and courageous. He was working at a little white church, average age about 65, in the inner city of Houston. Everybody that could afford to move had moved, and now it was just an elderly congregation. He was white. He worked with his father-in-law. He was a part-time youth pastor and an iron worker. He'd heard about all the problems at the local junior high school that I went to and the, the riots and the drugs and the full-time police officers and narcotics officers. And one day while driving by the school, he simply prayed and said, God, I want you to give me that school for Christ. Give me that school to touch it for you. And he heard that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know which voice I'm talking about? It's kind of like you're not even thinking anything. It's like a blank board and then all of a sudden there's something written on the board. And he heard, written on his heart, stop and go tell the principal that you want to speak in the school and God will change the school. So in obedience to the Lord, he just pulled over and he went in and went up to the principal's office and knocked on the front door and the principal came to the door and said, hello, sir, I know you don't know me, but but my name is Pastor Keith and I work at a small church with young people right here down the road and I've been praying for your school and I heard about all the challenges that you're having and, and, and as I've been praying for your school, I feel like if you'll let me in, God will change your school. And the principal kind of backed up and said, really? Have you heard of Madeline Murray O'Hara? The famous atheist from Austin, Texas who got prayer taken out of every school in America? If she found out what I was doing, I'd lose my job. And the pastor, with every bit of boldness, looked at him and said, well, what harm could he do? And the principal backed up and he said, you're right. We have open use of drugs, open solicitation of prostitution, kids smoking marijuana, walking down the halls, gang violence, full-time police officers, and I've been beat up three times this year by students. And so a week later, he allowed him to come and bring a band in and do a school assembly. That was the first I knew about anything that was happening, and that morning I got up and did my normal routine with my friends before I came to school. I walked halfway to school, me and some friends of mine smoked weed. Oh, 
Don't act like you hadn't smoked a little weed. <laughs> don't act like you don't know who Cheech and Chong are. You might have gray hair. You still know. And, and I, I came walking into the school assembly, and the band was up there playing, and, and then a guy got up, and he talked afterwards, and I don't really remember anything that was said. And we went to the end of the school day, and I went home, and at about 5.30, a knock came at my door. And it was a pretty Mexican girl named Dolores who lived across the street from me, and, and she said, hey, Jacob, those people that were at school today, they're going to be back there tonight, and they're bringing that band. You want to go with me? I said, Dolores, I've heard junk like that before on TV and stuff. I don't want to go to that. And she kind of had a special way of looking at me. And she said, well, would you please go for me? And I said, will you kiss me if I go? Now, girls, if you're single here, I don't suggest this as a point of evangelism. Okay. Although it did work in this story. And, and, and so I said, if you kiss me, I'll go. And she said, I'll kiss you. And I said, good, I'll go. So I went to the meeting that night, and she sat up the front with her friends, and I sat in the back with mine. There was 1,000 students out of 2,000 students in my school that came back to the meeting that night. The band played, and, and then a guy got up, and he spoke. And at the end, he said, if you want to give your life to Christ, come forward. And Dolores, to my disappointment, went forward along with a number of other students. And finally, there were so many students that they just broke down all the classrooms and put counselors in each of the classrooms talking to a classroom full of students to lead them to Christ. And I, I waited about 15 or 20 minutes, and I got tired of waiting, so I started looking to find out which room Dolores was in. And when I found the room, I opened up the door, and I said, hey, Dolores, it's time for us to go. She was talking to an African-American counselor, and he looked up at me and said, did you want to talk to me? And I didn't want to talk to him, but I, I was respectful. One of the things that you learn if you're raised in the black or Mexican ghetto is you respect God even if you don't obey him. As a matter of fact, our people are the only people that name their children Jesus. Come on. <laughs> but when's the last time you met a white guy named Jesus who wasn't really Jesus? And so I was respectful, and so he looked at me, and he said, did, 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 did you want to talk to me? And I said, no, we really got to go. And Dolores said, no, we don't. We got plenty of time. And I went, oh. So I sat down in front of him, and he looked at me, and he told me the greatest story I'd ever heard in my whole life. He said, Jacob, it doesn't matter who your mother or father are. He, he didn't know my mother was a barmaid. He, he didn't know my father had been married five times. He didn't know my sisters got pregnant 13, 14, 15. He didn't know my older brother was a drug dealer. He said, it doesn't even matter what you've done. That really got my attention. Because I, I, I wasn't a kid. When you're not protected from everything you should be protected from, you're no longer a child. You're just an adult in a child's body. And that's who I was. There is a God that loves you and will forgive you and has a purpose and a plan for your life that's greater than you ever imagined. As a matter of fact, this scripture is the scripture I want to share with you because I think this 
surmises exactly what he was saying to me. John 10, 10, the message translation, Jesus is speaking and he says, a thief is only there to and, and, hey, when you live that near the consequences of sin and don't have the money to elevate you from the consequences, see, when you got money, you can go to rehab. You don't end up on the street. When you got money and you're going to private school, you don't end up at the lowest level because your finances can keep you and gap you from the consequences. But the time runs out, even if you have resources, that you must meet your consequences and you can't run far enough or fast enough from them. But you can't run from guilt and fear and shame. They cloak the life of everyone who lives against the God of this book. Can I share something with you? Look right here. Maybe you're here today because somebody promised they'd kiss you. A lot of men are going, that's what I'm talking about right there. Maybe you're here today because your mom or dad or a friend drugged you here. Listen carefully to me. There is a God that loves you and has a purpose and a plan for your life that's greater than anything you could ever imagine in your lifetime. And the greatest proof there is, is you see this first part, the people who he's stolen their life. In the last 12 months during the pandemic, 80,000 people have OD'd or committed suicide. I've been a part of a funeral, an OD funeral, every week for the last four weeks. Every week. Tim Tebow was at our church. I've been a pastor to him. His beautiful wife, Miss Universe, they were there, and there was a lady in our church, a grandmother that always prays for her grandson who'd been struggling with addiction. She knocked on his door because he said he wanted to come hear Tim Tebow. He didn't answer the door. He'd OD'd the night before. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but Jesus said, I came so they could have a real and Eternal life, watch this, this is my favorite part, more and a better life than you ever dreamed of. What's your greatest dreams of what you think that would be fulfilling to you as a plan and a purpose for your life? You can't even scratch the surface of the dream and the purpose that the God of this book has for you. And that day, he said, do you want that? And I said, do I want that? It's all I've ever wanted all my life was to be significant. All I've ever wanted all my life was to matter. All I've ever wanted in my life is to know that I wasn't an accident. You know, you've seen that. People look at their kids and go, now you and you and you, you were playing. But now you, you were an accident. I always want those kids to jump up and say, you know what, so are you. I was supposed to be born to the rich family across town. I have no idea I got stuck with you. I don't believe in any illegitimate children. I believe in illegitimate parents who haven't figured it out. You can clap right there. Kids are going, yeah. Oh, no, better not. I'm looking. That day, Jacob Aranza, that everyone knew, the kid that held the record in my school for more spankings, back then they spanked you. That was back before... Kids spanked their parents. Back then, parents spanked children. <laughs> and that day, 
than Jacob, who was immoral. I would walk down the halls and grab girls anywhere, and I didn't care. That's not what shocked him. What shocked him was that day I gave my life to Jesus, and the next day I started going and apologizing to all of them. That's what shocked him. A thousand kids gave their life to Christ. We would pack out our lunchroom every morning. The pastor said after the first week, those of you that have given up your drugs, bring them to school tomorrow. And he took a trash can load of drugs and he emptied it out on the principal's desk and the principal broke and he gave his life to Christ. That man who led that spiritual awakening became a father to me. And in the middle of my eighth grade year, when I gave my life to Christ and was born again, he would pick me up. I was living in my mother's bar because my mom, my, my dad, my stepmom kicked me out of the house and I moved in my mother's bar, a cantino in the barrio of Houston. And he would pick me up three or four times a week and I would spend the weekends with him. And he would tell me, Jacob, God has a plan for your life, son. God has a purpose for you. I know you're living in a bar now. I know nobody in your family has graduated from high school, but God has a plan and a purpose, and it's bigger than you could ever imagine. And that same God has a plan and a purpose for you. He does. I, I wish my beautiful wife could be here today and my six precious children three boys that are pastors and a fourth one that's on his way to being one. Because it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter the background that you came from. The greatest miracle God ever performs is not when he opens blind eyes. It's not when some miracle happens that people love to extol. The greatest miracle God ever performs is when he takes an unholy man or an unholy woman out of an unholy world and he washes them in the blood of the Jesus at the foot of the cross and he raises them from the spiritually dead and he fills them with the power of the Holy Spirit and he sends them back in that unholy world and they live holy in that world. That is the greatest miracle that he ever performs. My life has been a dream. A greater dream than I'd ever imagined in my lifetime. And he has one for you too. God doesn't want to improve your life. He wants to transform your life. Christianity is not a belief system. Christianity is a system where we believe we deserve sin, death, and hell, but someone took our payment and he died on the cross so we could go to that same cross and pick up his righteousness where we lay down our sin and become all that he intended us to be from the very beginning. And you know what I know? He hears nine-year-old boys' prayers in the barrio of Houston, even if nobody else hears, there is a God who hears and cares. So today, I want to ask you the most important question of your whole life. It is the most important question. It's not, do you believe in God? Hey, I believed in God all my life. Matter of fact, there are more Mexicans in prison with Jesus names and Mary and everybody all over their arm and African-Americans than you could imagine. It's one thing to believe in him. It's another thing to surrender your life to him.
When I was growing up, we used to have a band called the Doobie Brothers. Oh, oh, you know what a doobie is. Oh, I got you. They used to sing a song about Jesus. You remember that? What was it called? Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah. That was like, Jesus is just all right. Jesus is just. But the question is not, is Jesus all right with you? The question is, are you right with him? The sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the horridness of it, the darkness of it, the depravity of it, was to show you God's view of sin. You see, a lot of people think that if you don't obey the words of this book, somehow you break God. Let me help you. When you don't obey the laws of this book, you break you. You make life unlivable. The greatest proof that there is a God is looking at people who don't believe there is. And then looking at miracles like me, like you. The grace of God reaches down regardless of what you've experienced. I, I want to share something with you need to know. Life's not fair. But God is. In life, it doesn't matter where you start. What matters is who you invite on the journey with you and where you end up. The most important question of your entire life is have you been born again? Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make spiritually dead people live. Have you been born again? Every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. And you and I are born spiritually dead. You can go to church and you can get baptized and you can go through membership classes and you can go through catechism and CYO and CCD and MYF and every other kind of abbreviation there is. A very religious man came to Jesus once. He was like the preacher of a mega church. His name was Nicodemus and he said, Jesus, I know that you come from God because no one could do the miracles that, that, that you're doing unless God was with him. Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. You won't see what I'm talking about. Unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can I be born when I'm old? I mean, what kind of religion is this? And Jesus said, what's born of the flesh is of the flesh, and what's born of the spirit is of the spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. I, I want to apologize because sometimes as pastors and priests, we've done a, a terrible job. Some, sometimes people get all the rules and don't realize none of that can happen until raised from the spiritually dead and Christ comes to live inside you. 
say, Pastor, what, what do I need to do? Well, about this time of the year, every one of us, April, May, we start getting all these little, little things like this. They're letters about this size and they're pretty thick. And you open them up. What are they? They're invitations. They're invitations to graduations, they're invitations to weddings, they're invitations to showers, and they have tissue paper in there. I guess, I haven't figured without what that's for. I guess if you cry for the people that are getting married or something, I don't know. And then at the bottom of that, it has these letters, R-S-V-P. Now that's French. And I'm a Mexican, so I should know what that means. Ooh. Does anyone know what that means? RSVP is French. Thank you very much. Respondez s'il vous plaît. Do you teach French? Have you ever ate Cajun food? Okay, well, I got it. Watch this. Respondez s'il vous plaît. It means, let me translate that. And to Keller, y'all coming? <laughs> that's, what, that's what it means. Y'all coming? Because you can't go anywhere important without responding to an invitation. And today, I want to give you the most important invitation of your life. Have you been born again? It only happens once, just like the day you were born. My birthday's June the 17th, but, but when I pray with that African-American counselor in my junior high school in that chemistry lab, that day the old Jacob died and a new one was raised from the dead, never to be the same again. Guilt, fear, and shame had no more claim on my life. living in my mom's bar. That's where I began to preach. <laughs> my mom would say, son, you got to stop preaching to these people. I'm going, hey, I don't want to work here. If you're going to make me work here, I'm going to do my job. <laughs> Listen, have you been born again? You say, pastor, how can I be born again? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. If you have a problem with that, ask the person next to you. They'll help you. <laughs> B, Believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. Either he died for your sin or you will die for your sin. Someone will die for your sin. Either he did or you will. See, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. As you turn away from sin through repentance to be born again. The moment you do that, a resurrection takes place. You see, what people miss about Christianity, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is simply what happens to every one of us. We were dead in trespasses in sin. And the moment that we're born again, we are raised from the spiritually dead. And the same power that raises him up is the same power that raises you from the dead. In Cajun French, we say that's when you get the frissons. That means the chills. That's the French word for chicken skin. That's when you get the chills. And when you're in here and you feel the presence of God and you go, what is this? Just like you were talking about, what is this? It's that other world calling you going, come on, come on, come on. 
today, could I have the privilege, could I have the honor of giving you that invitation so you can answer and be born again today? Would you bow your head with me all across this building? I'm the only one that's looking. In just a moment, if you've never been born again, it only happens once, just like the day you were born. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. And then I want to pray with you. I want to have the privilege and the honor of praying with you to be born again. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If that's you, just raise it high and put it back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. All I'm going to do is just pray for you right where you are. One, God brought you here. With me, I thought it was a kiss from Dolores Carswell. <laughs> With you, it was a friend that asked. It was your wife saying, come on, baby, we need to do this. It was your husband saying, we got to find a place to worship with our family. It was one of your children saying, when are we going to church? It was actually really God. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Nothing is ever an accident. God has been pursuing you relentlessly. And now it's time for you to surrender to him, to know him, to give up your plan and your purpose for his plan and purpose and a life that's greater than you ever dreamed of. And now is your moment to be born again. Three, if that's you, raise your hand high. Raise it high. Come on, I want to see your hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Keep it high. Sixteen, seventeen, high. High. Eighteen, yes. Nineteen. Okay, you can put your hands down. Twenty, you can put your hands down. Last ten seconds, Pastor. I didn't raise my hand with these twenty, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know God is talking to me. I know it's your voice, but I know it's him talking to me. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I want you to raise it and wave it at me right now. You didn't already raise your hand, but you should have. Wave it at me. 21, wave it at me. Wave it at me so I could see it. 22, 23, 24. All right, 25. Now let's pray out loud. Those of you that raised your hand as a whole church, we're going to join you, and we're going to pray out loud this prayer together with you to be born again. Let's pray out loud, church, and join them. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me. So I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I am born again in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. 
We hope you have a great week.